0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to the third chapter of Philippians. We're going to be, this morning, hearing from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 1. And while you're doing that, I would remind you that there are fellowship pads on the inside of the aisles for you to pass down the row. Um, See who's here. And uh, if you're a visitor, we would certainly like to communicate with you. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's come now before God in prayer and ask for his help and understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know us. And you know that we are sinful people. You know that we come together this morning, and though we are all here, we come from a number of different places, some of us hurting very, very badly. We are feeling the pain and the misery of living in this broken and fallen world, and there are many who would long just to hear one word, one sentence that would give them hope for the next day and the next week there are many who come this morning and they're plagued with doubts and skeptical of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could it really be true? And still there are those who come and they feel this morning overwhelmed by a sense of shame and a sense of guilt. They have not lived up to the glory to which you have called them. And still others this morning find themselves to be completely comfortable, far too comfortable, so comfortable with this life that they do not sense their desperate need of Jesus. Father, it's our prayer this morning as we approach your word that you would deal with us all from wherever we come. That this morning, in looking at your word, you would show us the depths of our sin, show us where we have failed, show us where we need to be corrected and challenged. But we pray also this morning that you would lift our eyes to see Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again from the dead, in order that we might find full and complete acceptance. Total security, unconditional love before your throne. Father, we pray that you would indeed allow us to see Jesus this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I think everyone knows that children are uh, capable of doing some very, very cute things. And especially young children, uh, you know, we ooh and ah Over little kids, you know, um, you know, we see little little babies, and uh, when they begin to realize that they have a voice, you know, it's really cute to to see them scream and just kind of startle themselves. You know, that came out of my mouth, Um, and they're amazed by it, and they do it again and again. And you know, when you give your one-year-old child that first piece of birthday cake, and like, none of it gets in their mouth. And it's just everywhere. They're, whatever clothes they have on, just throw them away. They're ruined, you know. Um, you know, when kids discover things like gravity, you know, and you can see the amazement in their eyes that when I drop this thing, when I throw this thing, it will fall to the ground. And they're just amazed by it. Um, I remember one of my own children, we were standing in the backyard one night, one dark night, and we're looking up at the stars. And... Um, and uh, the, this child of mine said, you know, Daddy, pick me up. I want to touch the moon. Um, well, you can't touch the moon from, uh, from your backyard. But, you know, it's, those things are cute, right? Um, we could go on with many, many more things. But, you know, my simple point is to say those things are cute from about four months to three years old. Fast forward to when those same children are headed off to college or, you know, they're grown up and headed to college. And I think you know that it, will, it would not be cute if at that age they were still screaming just to hear the sound of their voice. Um, it, it would not be cute if they were randomly throwing things out of the, around the room just to see them drop and fall. And, and it wouldn't be cute if they needed a bath after every piece of cake that they ate. Um, in fact, it wouldn't be funny or cute it would be very, very disturbing uh, is what it would be. I mean, you expect little children to do cute things, but you also at the same time expect them to grow up and mature. I mean, it's what's supposed to happen in the life of a child. What we're being told in this passage is that we should be maturing as God's children. It's just what's supposed to happen. I mean, in the verses just before this, Paul says in this great passage of Scripture, that we receive Christ's righteousness. It's given to us. We find acceptance with God not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done in our place. But you see, life doesn't end there. That's actually where life begins. You, know, you see, in verse 16 of our passage, Paul says, "...only let us live up to what we have already attained." Having received Christ's righteousness, we're to grow in righteousness." We're to move in the direction of maturity. But you see, there's a lot of confusion about maturity in the Christian life. Um, You know, how do you do it? I mean, how do you get there? And what's it supposed to look like? And how do I know if I'm even moving in the right direction or not? You know, there's more that we could say about Christian maturity than we're going to say this morning. But I do think that we have at least three very important keys to maturity laid out in this passage for us when paul says that we need to know our goal that we need to realize our struggle and that we need to understand our citizenship so the first key to maturity in the christian life is simply to know your goal i mean what is it that you have your sight set on what are you aiming for it all sounds pretty simple i know and maybe at first it doesn't even sound like it should should merit a point in a sermon you know because you know, most of us think well we we got that we know the goal, but you need to understand that this is important because I think this is often where probably most often we go off track, you know because some think the main goal about Christian maturity is just is morality, you know becoming a more moral person and doing more good than bad and that's a sign of maturity and others think that. You know, learning. If I learn a lot and I know all of my theology and I got all those theological I's dotted and T's crossed, you know, uh, I'm the man or the woman with all the answers, you know, the right categories, well, then that's a sign of maturity. And others think it's it's helping people, you know, be nice to people and do good for people. And still others think, you know, it's, maturity is just, you know, being ultra-conservative about all your views, Um even even though some of those things are, are good things, they aren't the goal according to Paul. In verses 10 through 11, this is what Paul says. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I mean, that's the goal that Paul is talking about In verse 14 when he says, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? It is knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus. That's the goal for Paul. You know, here's a good test, I think, for all of us. You know, if you can look at what you think Christian maturity is and then take Jesus out of the formula and nothing has really changed and your life is still pretty much the same, that's a problem. (laughs) Something is horribly wrong, but many of us have this problem. You know, after a while, you're going through a routine, you're checking things off your list, you're all concerned about your agenda, and we're not really sure what any of it has to do with Jesus. God is telling you this morning in this letter to the Philippians that the goal of the Christian life is not morality for morality's sake, it's not the accumulation of knowledge just for that, In fact, growing and maturing as God's people really has to do with knowing Jesus. When Paul says that he wants to know Christ, it is far more than this intellectual thing. Uh, You know, it's not just that he's saying, I want to know all about Jesus. Although that's certainly involved, but he is talking about much more than that. He's talking about a real, personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus. He says, my goal is to know Jesus more and more. I want my fellowship with Him to be to be far sweeter, to be more deep. But, you know, unfortunately, I think that many think that Christian maturity, though they wouldn't say it, is really about moving past Jesus. I mean, we know about Jesus dying for sins and being raised from the dead. And now it's on to other things. You know, now it's on to more important things, you know, real practical day-to-day stuff. That's what it's about. But I'm telling you, the goal is never to move past Jesus. The goal is only to move deeper into Him, is what Paul is saying here. Maturity is finding yourself completely wrapped up in knowing Jesus, in loving Him, in desiring Him, and having your affection set on Him in the real practical day-to-day stuff of life. You know, a man named Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, a desire for Christ... Is a unifying hallmark of those who have begun to grow spiritually. You've heard parents warn their kids, you know, from eating too many sweets, and they'll say something like, You are what you eat, you know. And I would say, Here's a bit of biblical wisdom for you you become like what you love, negatively and positively. But you see, the kind of intimate knowledge of Jesus that Paul is referring to, this love of Jesus, it causes you to become like Him in the day-to-day stuff of life as you live out His death and resurrection in the ordinary and mundane. You see, in verses 10-11, through he doesn't just say that he wants to know Jesus. He also says there that he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. You know, he ends that little section by saying that he is longing for the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he wants to grow in knowing and becoming like Jesus until he dies and sees Jesus face to face. That is his goal. You know, the only way to know the power of the resurrection and to share in his sufferings is when becoming like Jesus is really lived out in the day to day stuff of life. You see, sometimes we read this passages like this and we say, wow, that's. That sounds really good, you know, that, that sounds, you know, very spiritual, uh, but what am I supposed to do with that? I remember reading this interview with a, a well-known pastor, and this pastor was asked the simple question, what is spirituality? I mean, it sounds very simple, but it's also pretty deep. I mean, how, wh- how would you define that? What is Spirituality. Well, this pastor answered it just as simply as the question. He said this. He said, spirituality is following Jesus. That's what spirituality is. He went on in that interview to say this. He said, to tell you the truth, the people who give me the most distress are those who come asking, Pastor, how can I be spiritual? And he says this. Just forget about being spiritual. How about loving your husband? And, you know, now that's a good start. How about accepting your kids and learning to love them the way they are? That's being spiritual. Knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus takes place in the ordinary stuff of life. You share in the power of his resurrection. You share in his sufferings in the way you deal with your family in the way you love and serve your spouse, in the way you use the Internet, in the way you do your job, in the way you enjoy your hobbies. The the goal is to know Jesus and become like Jesus in the day-to-day stuff of life. If anything else is your goal, I need to tell you this. You are making a mess out of the Christian life. And you are headed for some trouble. My dad was in the Air Force. And at one time, he was stationed in... Colorado Springs and he ran the the major satellite base for the military and one day he's showing me around the base and he took me into this building and you know we did the combination lock and opened the two foot steel door whatever it was and walked down this hallway and he shows me into this through this hallway we look off to the right and there's this room and it's a pretty big room and uh, there is nothing but computers in this room. I mean, blinking lights and fancy, complicated-looking machinery. And he says, well, this room, and it's all sealed off and everything. So this, this room is all dedicated. All these computers, all these blinking lights are dedicated to the running of one clock. Um, and, and he explained how important it was for them to keep perfect time. Because, you see, when you launch a satellite into a particular orbit in in space, time is essential. You and I don't usually concern ourselves with seconds and hundredths of a second uh, in our day-to-day lives, but you know the difference in a second or a hundredth of a second when you are launching satellites into space can be the difference in missing your mark by hundreds or thousands of miles. You see, morality and Helping others and knowing correct theology. I mean, those things are very, very important. But they are not the main goal, according to Paul. And if you miss the main goal, you don't just miss by a little. You miss big time. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something very, very frightening. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I mean, that's obviously serious. And then he says that many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then he says this, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We don't have time to break all that down, but here are people who are emotionally engaged. They're saying, Lord, Lord. And, And they know their theology. They're prophesying. They're doing lots of good things. But what's wrong? How, why are they so far from the kingdom? Why are they thousands of miles away? They have missed the goal. They miss knowing Jesus and submitting to Jesus in the day-to-day stuff of life. I mean, that's why Jesus says, I never knew you. I had no relationship with you. And, and you have to do my will. And what he's saying there is simply this. You have to follow me in obedience to grow in maturity is to have your sight set on the goal of knowing Jesus and becoming like Him in the day-to-day stuff of life. But you know, now that you know the goal, you have to face reality. Uh, you have to face it. You have to realize that it's a constant struggle to pursue your, pursue that goal. And that's the second point. Maturity is about straining toward what is ahead. Paul tells us in verse thirteen. You know, the Christian life isn't about continual victory. It's not not about continual failure, for that matter, as well. But it is about continual struggle. Maturity is about being realistic, and it is about being sane about the Christian life. If you do not realize this, you are just going to give up. Or if you don't give up, you won't be able to be real and authentic with others or with yourself. I mean, you'll always be acting. Or if you don't do that, you'll have to water Christianity down until you have something that you can accomplish in your own strength. As soon as Paul tells you the goal in this passage, you get to verse 12 and you hear him saying, you know, wait a minute. You know, before you get the wrong idea, I want you to be clear that I have not made it yet. That I am still struggling. That I am pressing on to know Jesus and become like him. It's a realistic understanding that in this life we will always be pressing on until Jesus calls us home. You know, I hope that you will relate with this, um, but it is such a pain to be around someone who is always telling you how great their life is. Do you know that? I, I mean, I'm talking about the people who seem like they have no struggles in life. The people who everything is always great and everything is always good and look at what they're doing and all this kind of stuff. You figure out real fast about these people that you cannot stand being around them. I mean, they are so annoying. (laughs) Because around them you feel like, well, what's wrong with me? (laughs) My life isn't like that. You know, this certainly isn't going to be the person you open up to with your struggles. And this isn't going to be the person you're vulnerable with and transparent with. The Apostle Paul is the exact opposite. He's saying to these Philippians, he's saying, do not be discouraged. I am still struggling just like you. And this is the apostle Paul who saw Jesus and wrote the most of the books in the New Testament. You see, it's not discouraging to realize your struggle. It's actually refreshing because that is the normal Christian life. And you only set yourself up for despair if you don't have that kind of sanity and humility about your life. You know, I, At first, it probably doesn't sound all that refreshing to realize this ongoing perpetual struggle. But the encouragement is really found in why we press on in our struggles. You see, many pastors, I think, have really abused their congregations with this passage because they stand from the pulpit and they just shake that finger and press on, press on, press on. As if that's all that this passage has to say. What you need to hear in this passage is why. Why keep going? Why Put myself in this continual struggle. Why press on? Listen to verse 12. It says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. you hear what he's saying? He is saying, I press on and I keep fighting because Jesus has me in His grasp. Because Jesus Himself took hold of me and He will not let me go. Go down to verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward In Christ Jesus, he is saying, the reason I do not look back at my successes or my failures, and the reason I strain toward what is ahead, is because God has called me in Christ Jesus. You see, what is going to give you encouragement to press on when you face your particular brand of temptation? I mean, what is going to where are you going to find strength to go on when you fail again? and again, and again. What's going to cause you to embrace this struggle that Paul is talking about? It is to know that you are held by Jesus and you are called heavenward in him. I wish we had more time to unpack all that, but we are called to press on, Paul is saying, because of what God has done for us in the gospel. But let's pause and be realistic about this. That's all good and great, but that is hard to see in the midst of the battles of life. I mean, often in the struggle, you will know this from experience, that God's presence seems hidden. That he often feels absent, feels absent in the midst of your trials. And Paul is saying, you press on in view of what you know. That despite what you feel, you are held by Jesus and you are called by God. He is saying, remember what God has done. Remember that God is at work in his people. One of my favorite stories is about a trip that a man named James Montgomery Boyce took to Egypt. And on this trip, he visited um, the ancient city of Luxor, built some 3,000 years ago. And they're in this ancient city and they're visiting the temple in that city. And there were these huge, these humongous columns in front of this temple. And they were, uh, he said, a dozen feet in diameter and stood some 60 to 80 feet off of the ground. And they're looking at these columns in front of the temple. And they notice that atop one of these columns, there is this tiny little house sitting on the top of the column. And so they say, you know, how did that house get up there? You know, 80 feet off the ground. It seemed like a good question to me. But, um, and the guide explained that there was this farmer that had come out here and he, he sought for a place, place of bedrock to build his house. And so he, he built upon what he thought was bedrock. Built his house and over time the sands blew around the edges of the house and, and he realized that he was on something man-made. And more time went by and blew more sand away. From that foundation and realized that he had in fact built his house on the top of one of these columns that the sand had covered over time. I mean this farmer accidentally discovered this ancient city in Egypt. Accidentally. You know the discovery that you need to make in your struggles is that God is not absent but that he is present. This is the very reason Paul is saying press on because of what God has done, that you are held by Jesus and you are called heavenward. In the midst of struggle, God may appear hidden, but God is not passive, Paul is saying. God is active in the life of His people and He calls us to embrace a struggle holding on to the hope of the gospel. That is how you grow in maturity in the Christian life and develop it. Well, the third key to maturity is this, to understand your citizenship. You have to realize If you are going to grow in maturity, that you belong to a kingdom and you belong to a king who is doing something. If you notice in verses 18 and 19, Paul mentions that there are some people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He describes these enemies in verse 19 by saying their destiny is, is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Those who are the enemies of the cross They follow their appetites, he says, wherever they lead them. And the things that should make them ashamed, they actually take pride in. And then he tells you this, their mind is on earthly things. And what he's saying here is he's saying, this world is the limit to their horizon. It is all they see. They are only focused on this life and this world. And then you get the great contrast. Because Paul says, but that isn't who you are. You see, in verse 20, the very next verse, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying this world is not the limit to our horizon. We have a heavenly citizenship. If you are going to grow as you are meant to grow, you have to understand that you do not belong That you are an alien in this world. Those who place their faith in Jesus and rest upon him for their salvation. They do not belong to this world. You know, I don't think that I can begin to overstate this. That we tend to be nearsighted. I mean, we can only see what is right there in front of us. To grow in maturity, your horizon must be expanded. It has to be. It's got to change your perspective about life to find that you pursue Jesus and you continue to struggle. You embrace that struggle because you are a pilgrim on the way to your heavenly home. You are a citizen of heaven. Listen, this is why Paul tells the Philippians in verse 17 to follow his example. He's not being cocky. He's not saying, I've got it together. Just get in line behind me and figure it out. I mean, he, already, he just said that he's still struggling and pressing on. What he's saying is he's saying this. Watch me and see how I live like I do not belong here. Watch me and see how I live like this is not my home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and because we are citizens of heaven, we have a king in heaven. When you begin seeing yourself as a child of the king, it has to change you. For those who rest in Jesus, you have been brought into the royal family. You are not orphans. You are not slaves. You are sons and daughters of the king. And that king is Jesus. Paul says we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we, they will be like his glorious body. He is saying this king is actually doing something in your life, even when it is hard to see in the pursuit and in the struggle. With the same power, I mean, this is mind-blowing. I mean, with the same power that upholds and sustains the universe and holds all things together, Paul is saying with that power, he is transforming his people to be like him into his image. And that has to change the way you see the mundane and the ordinary stuff of life. You belong to a king and a kingdom, and it matters how you live in the smallest details of your life. It has to change the way you view loss and pain and struggles and relationships and your callings. And it fills us with an undying hope because Jesus, the king, the savior, he is coming and he is going to make us like himself. You know, a while ago, I I caught a piece of a documentary on Prince William, and I only saw a few minutes of the show, but what caught my attention was how the narrator was kind of describing a day in the life, you know, kind of of Prince William or whatever, and how, you know, how tough he had it. You know, he had to live so differently from everyone else. I mean, if he wanted a Whatever, double quarter pounder, he couldn't just run down to Wendy's and get a number two. You know, he, uh, he, he, he couldn't just walk into the grocery store and, and go shopping. He couldn't just go to a, a concert and blend in with the group. I mean, he would stand out. And so, you know, he couldn't do any of those things. He was the prince. And it all, it all seems so very obvious that because he was the prince, he had to live differently. He was different. And that's the obvious connection. He has to live differently. See, when you grasp that you belong to the king and you are a citizen of heaven, you have to make the obvious connection. You have to live differently. The gospel frees you and it calls you into a pursuit of the one who pursued you to a cross. The gospel frees you to embrace a struggle in which you are embraced and held by Jesus. The gospel brings you into the royal family, sons and daughters of the king, who obviously have to mature and have to grow to be like their king, who is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for giving it to us and how it is a light unto our feet. We do pray for ourselves this morning. We pray that we would be a people who are moving in the direction of maturity, who are growing in the Christian life, who having attained the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account, that we are seeking to live up to what we have received. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that the goal is knowing jesus and becoming like him we pray that you would give us sanity about our lives that we would realize the struggle and to realize in that struggle that we are held by jesus and called heavenward in him and father i pray for us all that we would understand deeply this magnificent truth that we have been brought into your family Once we were orphans, once we were strangers, once we were slaves, but you have brought us into your family. And we pray that we would live lives differently, even in the smallest details, that we would understand that as sons and daughters of the King, we must live differently. This is not our home. We belong to heaven. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.